This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where certain things are fixed, the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. What's going on, beer lovers? How we doing, hopheads? No. Oh. <laughs> Some of us are hopheads. Like, so, don't, but that just because you're not, that don't hate. include all of our listeners. Yeah, I wasn't referencing. You referenced all of our listeners when you said beer lovers. I was addressing specifically those like me that are hopheads. As I said last week, hopheads are a little bit of a cult. That, that's not true. We are not cultish. We bit. just love people like us. It's like the art. We're white people. It's, it's like. The, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's like the Ardbeg cult, man. Like it. It is a little bit the hophead cult, the Ardbeg cult. It's um, just a thing. It's a thing, and it's we, hard to deny. We like what we like, and we're in it to win it. So, like, like if you don't know, Ardbeg is a kind of Isla Scotch. <clears throat> yep. That. Um, if you, it is the nectar of the gods. Okay, as you exhibit a, um, there's no scotch like Ardbeg scotch, and thus people who drink Ardbeg, lots of times drink Ardbeg exclusively. Um, when it comes, I don't drink it exclusively, but well, when it comes to scotch, no, I don't drink it exclusively when it comes to scotch. But if I'm buying what other scotch, do you drink? I will occasionally drink Glen Levitt. I will occasionally drink. I drink a ton of Spinnaker. Oh, I guess that's true. Because it's cheaper. Uh, I don't drink it exclusively, but I drink it mostly. <laughs> so I like Ardbeg. I like hops. I love IPAs. But like. Clayton's a weird. Clayton's divergent. <laughs> divergent. Yeah, from the the insurgent movie. Right, right, yeah, right. Clayton likes all of it. I do. Like I'm I'm yeah. Um sue me. <laughs> there's there are some places where I'm like, "Oh yeah, I might I might like that. I might like to try an oatmeal stout or pretzel stout." I feel like I feel like really heavy grainy uh bready stouts are really chewy. That's what I love, man. Yeah, I I, I feel like that. if my beer if I feel like I need to chew my beer, I'm I'm kind of missing the point. Um so I don't always love it, but it's just the textural thing. It's like smooth and creamy and just amazing. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a different kind of experience, and I want it sometimes, but it's not an everyday drinker for me. Yeah. Whereas an IPA, it's something. I'm a hophead. I could drink it all day, every day. Yeah. Anyway, so what you got going there? Yeah, so I'm really excited about this. I got the Entropic. Entropic. Mm-hmm depending on how you want to uh, emphasize the syllables, from Equal Parts Brewing, which I'm really excited about. Shout out Equal Parts Brewing because you from Houston. Mm. You from Houston, Texas. So it's a it's a, a, a IPA, 6.9% alcohol by volume. I'm expecting it. To be highly floral. Oh, yeah. I don't know that to be a fact because I haven't tasted it yet, <laughs> but I expect it to be really floral yeah. and really amazing as an American craft IPA. It's not a West Coast IPA, I don't think. I think it's just a good traditional 
American IPA. And the thing that I like about American IPAs is they're different from British IPAs because if you don't know, basically, I'm going to take you on a little beer lesson here. If you don't know, IPAs actually came not from India. No, they didn't. They're, They're called India Pale Ales because in in the beer tree they are a pale and they are an ale yeah. meaning that they have a very uh, low love bond grain a malt whereas a stout would have a very high love bond malt but they're not from india no they're not they were created the extra hops were added as a preservative Along the India trading route Mm -hmm. from the UK to America. Yeah. And so it's a very different experience from like a British IPA Mm. to an American IPA. It's a very different experience from an an Eastern American IPA to a Western American IPA. Mm -hmm. And this one, I think, is a Central American IPA. So very floral very uh, hoppy, but like all around, very good, very complex. Yeah. I'm very excited for what Equal Parts Brewing is doing here. Yeah. So I also have a heavily hopped ale. It's not, it's not an IPA. It's not an IPA, but it's a hopped ale. Um, and it's uh, by La Quintas. La out Quintas of Brewing, La Quintas Brewing, for sure. Um, out of California and Illinois. Yep. Um, 8%. ABV, and it's called Hop Stupid. <laughs> Hop Stupid. I'm really excited to try this. They've got some some beers that I really enjoy, um, so I'm actually really excited to try this. Actually, me and my buddies have a uh, just started this like inside joke about like um, hop drinkers and and craft beer drinkers as well. Um, we kind of make fun of them. Oh, there's something here that um, is kind of interesting. Hop extraction equipment in the brew house. But wrong he was. Wait, hold on. There's a whole story here. I don't have time to look at it and read all of it. <laughs> yeah, Lagunta's Brewing is... Go go buy um, this bottle and go read the story. A pretty, pretty big uh, yeah, they are. brewing company. Lagunta's is not a small... They're not. Um, ...brewing company. They, they've got a lot of different labels. they got a lot of different brews. So they are a very prominent uh, brewery. They're a good brewery. Like they make pretty really solid. good beers. Yeah. So if you're in it, definitely check these out. We want to give shout outs to Laguntas mm-hmm. and um, to Equal Parts Brewing. Like we want to support local brewers. Uh, and so especially def- during this time of the pandemic yeah. when they're struggling, like definitely check them out if you get a chance. So cheers, bro. Let's cheers. open can- these up. Oh, shoot. There it is. Mm. Oh, wow. Whoa. Highly floral, highly good, highly amazing, highly recommend after one drink. I need to I need to go back in for a, mm. a second. Go in for round two? I, I, 
keep getting this weird caramel thing. Like, not weird, but well, like interestingly caramel. Well, it's interesting because most of the times you think of a heavily hopped beer, you want an, you're expecting an IPA. Yeah. And it's just an overly hopped ale. It, like, it, it's not. It's extremely hoppy. Yeah. It, it's, it's floral. It's citrusy, like right up front, obviously. But right behind all of that, it's got this like sweet caramel note that I'm really loving. Yeah, this has a very, um, excuse oh, me. It's fantastic. Mine has a very Citadel kind of. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it does feel more West Coast IPA than East Coast. Um, very good. I really enjoy Citadel hops. Like, yeah. really, really enjoy that. A lot of floral notes. Like, I actually made a... a black ipa with out of citadel Citadel hops that is true fantastic so if you don't know um we also brew we brew our own beer a lot of times when we have the time to do so um uh if you also if you don't know i'm 27 years old um i've been brewing beer since i was old enough to drink um so i've been brewing beer for almost i will turn 28 in april in a month yeah. Um man, I'm getting old. Yeah, he is. Guys, hit me up. Don't don't let me flounder in my being old. Look at the gray in his hey, beard. Hey, hey, watch Look it. The gray watch it. <laughs> watch it. There's a lot of miles on these wheels, okay? Um uh, I'm about to be 28. I've been brewing beer for about 7 years. Um a few years ago when Clayton got back from Belgium after he had fell in love with beer in the brewing capital of the world, I got Clayton plugged in. And we've been brewing beer quite a bit ever since. We don't brew as much as I think we'd like. I'm I'm oh. fixing to start doing some more. I'm trying to free up some time for myself to enjoy life and hobbies. And um, I'm going to be doing some more brewing. But to Clayton's point, we brewed what I call a black IPA. Be called, yeah, yeah, yeah. It it was a a very hoppy IPA. Um, we also did an extra boil on it, so, so it I don't got know. Darker I don't know if you could call it a double IPA, no. But it was a one and a half IPA, and it was dark. It we was, left well, the malt in more. It looked like a stout would. It looked like a stout, but tasted like an IPA, and it was amazing. It was fantastic. Um, it was absolutely delicious. It and really the, was. The crazy thing is, we did it by accident. <laughs> we did it by accident. It was it was a one of a kind beer. It, we, I don't think we could recreate it. Honestly, I could not recreate it if I tried. But it was delicious. Sadly, there's none left. It was so. Also, shout out if you want to connect with us, uh, text pints to our phone number in the description, and let me know. You can. The number, you can text that, anything you want. And if if you're local to East Houston and you want to learn about brewing beer, let me know. I, I would we'll love to start a community group where we just teach people how to brew beer. Yeah, I would literally so love to do that. I love brewing beer. I love beer. I love Christian community, spiritual friendship. Like, Let me know. I, I would gladly create a space where we could do that together if that interests you. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, we spent 11 minutes and 34 seconds talking about nonsense. Um, I guess it's not nonsense because that's part of the show. It's not nonsense. It's pints and perspectives. Equal parts pints, 
equal parts perspectives. Well, let's jump into the perspectives part. <laughs> yes. We have been talking about soteriology. The study uh, of salvation, soteriology, yes. We have been through the theological perspectives of the Calvinist point of view. The, the reform soteriological position. Yeah, which a lot of people call Calvinism. Yes, we've yeah. been through that. We Two have, episodes. Well, but then we went through the biblical references behind it. We did. Um, and so this week, we, we plan on doing the same thing um, through through the rest of the series. Um, and, and on this episode, we're talking about the theological perspectives of Arminian soteriology. Arminian soteriology. So if you don't know, Arminian theology is the primary theology that exists against, well, let me say, Not the against. primary theology in Western Christianity in counterpart to Calvinist or Reformed soteriology. Yeah. It started by a guy named Jacob Arminius, Arminianus, who several years after Calvin, like they're not 100% contemporaries with one another. And Arminius just said, like, maybe the maybe Calvin's way is not the only way to do it. So if, if you think about the Reformation in terms of a tree, you have the more primitive side, which is John Calvin, and you have the more sacramental side, which is Luther. Right. And off the primitive side with Calvin, Jacob Arminius just says, like, wait, maybe maybe there's another way to do this. Yeah. And so Arminius takes this kind of different approach versus the providence of God in Calvinism. Like, remember, that whole idea of, like, total depravity and perseverance of the saints and everything in between with election is about God's providence, that yeah. God is 100% in control. Arminius didn't like that. He didn't like that we had to give God 100% control as a puppeteer over the world. And so his response was to say, what if we didn't think about God's providence as the end-all, be-all, mm. but that we, the people, it's a good American phrase, mm-hmm had a place in this. Yeah. And so Jacob Arminius had two distinct things that were unique to his soteriology above and beyond or against the reformed providential perspective of John Calvin. One being that Jacob Arminius believed that you could lose your salvation. Um, he did not believe in perseverance of the saints. So for Jacob Arminius, where Arminian theology comes from, and we're going to talk more about it next week, but it comes a lot from the book of Hebrews, mm-hmm. that this idea that just because you're saved does not mean that you're always saved. Yeah. Um, that you yourself as a person of free will have a ton of influence over your salvation. And so because of that, you can be saved for a while. Yeah. And you can walk away from faith. Yeah. And if you choose to walk away from faith 
and you die away from faith, you are not saved. Yeah. You will not experience the kingdom of God for eternity. Yeah. You are outside the position of goodwill with the church. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's a hard one. Um, and I've actually, so it's, it's funny. We, we said in the very first episode that we both struggled with, with this idea of soteriology and we've worked through it and, um, on our own. We have, um, I've actually fallen on this side as well. Um, it was so funny. I started here and then at some point I f- flipped over into Calvinism to the reform side. To the reform yeah. side. It was it's pretty wild how that happened. Well, I think I think our upbringing led us more to the Arminian side. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't I haven't talked to our parents about this in quite a while, but I think if if our parents had to pick, they would be Arminian. They would. Um yeah. and so they they were not reformed in their soteriological positions. They didn't believe in Calvin's idea of perseverance of the saints, they didn't bullet well. Well, our mom does, dad does not. Oh, is that the dynamic there? Mm-hmm. Okay, at I least I believe. Last I time I talked to them, that's where they fell. Hebrews chapter four and Hebrews chapter six are the ones that you have to really wrestle with. Yeah, with this one, and we're going to talk about those next week. Um, but you also have to. I mean, but just for us, and so for me, I'm I'm pretty given over to narrative theology, um, and because of that, you you have to look at the person of Judas. Yeah, he lived a lot of years with Jesus, serving Jesus, and he makes a mistake, and for whatever reason, he feels like the only way to recompense that mistake is to kill himself. He can't deal with the guilt and the shame of what he's done. Um, I got to tell you, I I don't know that I agree with Dante. Mm. I don't. I'm not confident that Judas is in the ninth ring of hell. Um, I'm not quite so sure either. I don't know. I think the more and more I look at the scriptures, the more and more I realize that God is a God of grace. And that God is a God of healing and compassion. Yeah, salvation. Yeah. Um, And because of that, I also think that God is okay with our doubt. God's okay Mm. with our questions. We say that all the time. Yeah, if God's not okay with our doubt or our questions, I'm a terrible Christian. Mm -hmm. Because, I, I mean, I... I've struggled with doubt and questions my entire life because as I seek to try to understand God, the more and more I try to understand him, the more and more I think I have questions that I don't understand. Yeah. Um, well, And it's because, in the words of C.S. Lewis, we're a line trying to explain a cube. Like, yeah. we cannot comprehend that. And so Jacob Arminianus... Whereas Calvin said, I want to rely on God being the biggest element in the world. Arminius just said what Augustine said. 
Is God so big that he can make a rock? Or is God so powerful that he can make a rock so big that he can't pick it up? Yeah. Well, at one of those points, God's power fails. Yeah. Either God's not capable because he's so strong of making a rock so big that he can't pick up, or God's power as creator far surpasses his power as all-powerful, meaning that God is capable of making a rock so big that he can't pick up. Mm-hmm. Arminius just says, like, maybe this is unknowable for us. Yeah. Like, maybe we need to look at this more in the light that God is bigger than we are. Yeah. And God has given us the power to choose. And we have the ability, authority, and power to choose God if we want. Yeah. And in our ability to choose God, we can also, after we've chosen him, choose to reject him. Yeah. Um. Whenever I did fall, on, I was going somewhere earlier, um, but you were on a train of thought. and so I apologize. No, you're okay. You're okay. You were on a train of thought, and I wanted to let you run with it. But this is actually where I was going with it, and you wrapped it back around. Great. I landed the plane. Randy Hatchett, shout out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, whenever I did fall on that side, I was having a discussion with some reformed people that you and I both know. Um and that person tried to make the argument that, okay, so you believe in a works-based faith. Um, oh, for Arminian theology? Yeah. And I yeah. was like, no. <laughs> yeah, not, <laughs> not, not even a little bit. Is. That's not what it is at all. Um, it, it's not, because in, if, any, if anybody ever tries to tell you that Arminian theology is works-based, that's not true. Well, they just still, don't understand it. Right, because it's still based on grace. That's Through the deal. faith. That's the deal, is... Arminian theology is still a grace-based faith. It's just, and, and the argument that they were trying to make was that by choosing God, that is a work, that is an act. But it's they not. Don't, they don't understand what Arminius is doing there. Yeah. So I, I do want to preface, I don't think either one of us ascribe to Arminian theology. No. I don't anymore. No. Yeah, I don't. I I have at one point in my Christian life, um, and I was pretty vocal about it. I uh, I think I don't know this to be a fact. If I'm wrong, let me know in the community group. Excuse me, or if you think I'm wrong, let me know in the community group for our podcast. Uh, of Pints and Perspectives on Wellhouse Church's Facebook page. They'll be linked in the description. But Go do it. I don't think that anyone here, even when I was doing it, I think the, pro, the predominant position of Arminian theology is in the charismatic tradition. Hmm. So Methodist and... Um, Assembly of God, potentially Vineyard. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. If you are in those traditions, 
please let me know. I do think Arminian theology is more prominent among um, charismatic traditions because it's about the experience of God. Um, and I so can see l- that being true. Let me know um, where you're at. I know that Assembly of God holds to Arminian theology. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Methodism does. Let me know if I'm wrong. But I'm actually certain that Methodism does too. Okay, so it's more in the charismatic side of the expression. So if you do find yourself holding to that, that's fine. We're not, we're not saying anything. We've both been there. Yeah. But if you do find yourself there, you also know that it's not a works-based faith. No. Because Jacob Arminius believed in this thing called prevenient grace. Mm. And that's the deal in, in, in providence or providential grace like we have in Calvinism. There is one experience of grace, and that is saving grace. Mm-hmm. That is not the case with other soteriological positions. So other soteriological positions would say that we have varying levels of experiences of grace. Yeah. One of which being the breath in your lungs. Mm-hmm. That if God is the author of life, then your experience of life through the breath in your lungs is an experience of grace. It is not saving grace, no. but it's an experience of grace. If you want to, exp- if you want to explore this more, go back and listen to the episode um, on pneumatology with Adam Cheney uh, on this podcast. But this idea of ex- of varying levels of grace is prevalent in Arminian theology because they believe in prevenient grace. And what prevenient grace is, is that God himself is providential. And he knows that there's going to come a time of hardship or suffering or struggle, at which point he's been working in your life. And so he gives you a disposition, deportation, a an experience of grace in order for you to be in an ontological position. Ontological meaning understanding existence. Yeah, your experience of being. Yeah. Your experience of existence that prevenient grace puts you in a place because of God's work in your life puts you in an ontological position, a position of being in which you can choose God. Yeah. It is not to say that you, in and of your own work, are capable of choosing God. Yeah. It is to say that God values your choice as much as he valued the choice of Adam and Eve, that he's given you a disposition of grace yeah. in order for you to choose him, of which is called prevenient grace. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it it is not um, 
a, a Meritus type theological it position. It, if you think Arminian theology is meritorious, you've missed the big picture. Oh, absolutely. It's not about merit. No. It's actually about God's desire to be in relationship with people. Mm-hmm. And in his desire to be re- with be in relationship with people, he's made a way in order for people to choose him just like he did in the garden. Yeah. In the Garden of Eden, God made people 100% in his image. Right. But being made in the image of God is insufficient if you don't have a choice. Yeah. And so Arminius comes up with this idea that there must be a way in order which God gives us the opportunity to choose. And in his ability to to offer us the opportunity to choose. He's done that through his providence with the idea of provenient grace. Yeah. So we've talked about provenient grace. Um, Where were we going to go next? Is there anything else we wanted to touch on? Well, we talked about both provenient grace and the ability to lose your salvation. Right. Um, and those are the two key differences between Arminian theology and and Reformed soteriology. And that's the other thing that I that I, I would like to point out here is that Reformed, what people call Reformed theology or Calvinism, ninety percent of the time they're only referring to the soteriological elements. Yeah. When people talk about Arminian theology, 100% of the time, they are only talking about the soteriological elements. Yeah. Neither of those are all-encompassing systematic theologies. No. Reformed theology can be. Most of the time when people talk about it, it's not. Right. Next week, we're going to look at... Not next week. Two weeks. No. Next week, we're going to look at the biblical basis ah. for Arminian theology. Yep. We're going to look at Hebrews 4. We're going to look at Hebrews 6. Excuse me. We're going to look again at Jacob and Esau. Mm-hmm. Just like we did last week, we're going to look at what Jacob and Esau, what Paul has to say about Jacob and Esau, but then we're going to go back and look at what Jacob and Esau actually do in the way in which they choose to follow God through... Oddly enough, who they marry. Mm. Um, but then in two weeks, uh, I have a conversation with my mentor, friend, dear, dear friend of mine, Dr. Ben Blackwell, who I, I, say, I say this and I'm not shy about it. I do not think I would be a Christian if it were not for Ben Blackwell. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have a conversation with him about my own soteriological position and his soteriological position of deification, Mm. which a lot of people don't know what that is. And that's one of the reasons that I want to bring it to light is because that for once in my life, when I found deification or participation in theology, my soteriology and my ethic didn't feel disconnected anymore. Yeah. 
they seem like they were somewhat dependent upon one another. Um, and so we're going to talk about all of that. We're going to explore all of that. But for where we are today, the things that you need to know about Arminian, and Arminian theology, and specifically Arminian soteriology, is this. That God is bigger than your problems, and God wants you to have the ability to choose to be in relationship with him. Mm. And so because that is his ultimate desire, he's given you through an act of grace called provenient grace, the ability to choose him. Yeah. And in having provenient grace and the ability to choose him, you can also choose to reject him. Yeah. Right wrong, indifferent, agree, disagree. That is the position of Jacob Arminius and Arminian soteriology. And next week, we will walk you through the biblical foundations for that position. And one more time, I want to say, this is Pints and Perspectives. We're not telling you which perspective is correct. No, that's not our goal. I don't. We're not saying that Arminian theology and Reformed soteriology are incorrect and wrong. Um, we're just saying that this is what these people believe. Um, and this, if this is how you believe or if this is how you think you want to believe, cool, go for it. Yeah. Fantastic. Good for you for, for taking that step in your deconstruction. Fantastic. Um, but we're not going to say that we agree, but nope. um, if that's how you feel, then that's how you feel and good for you. My goal here is not to make a bunch of miniature Pastor Cullens. Nope. My goal here is not to indoctrinate you into believing exactly the way that I do. Nope. My goal here is for you to find a place of theological belief, and position where you can have a life-giving experience and relationship with King Jesus. That's right. And so for me, there are a lot of people in our community that may find that in the providence of God. Yeah. There are a lot of people in our community that may find that in the free will, Mm -hmm. the ability to choose. And then there are people who may find that in God's loving relationship with us, in limiting of himself, in order for us to be like him in character. Mm -hmm. Those are the three positions. Those are your options. I'm not going to tell you what to believe. My My only desire is that you find a position where you love the Lord, you believe in God, who he is in his character, and live a faith that reflects the character of God.